0: Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you so much for tuning in and a happy new year, 2023, soon to be. Today, we have a wonderful guest and then my last guest for the 2022 and then we're recording episode 93. So thank you so much for tuning in. So before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book, which is called A Gift from Adversity by Juri, J U R I, Love. A Gift from Adversity is available on Amazon, and the subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. And I want to really shout out to all the guests that I have appeared and shared their adversities on this podcast so far. In 2022, January, my Uh, Resolution New Year resolution was to start a podcast, and I had no idea that I get to have almost 100 episodes. And today, I'm so grateful to have Michelle Steiner. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Jory. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm
1: good. How are you?
0: (laughs) Thank you. Happy New Year 2023.
1: Soon, yes. Happy New Year's to you, too. Thank you for having me. Yeah.
0: So Michelle, can you tell our audience who you are, where you're coming in from and then what you do and if you have a website or social media you wanna share with us?
1: Sure, uh, my name is Michelle Steiner and I live in Pennsylvania and uh, I'm a disability uh, writer and advocate and I also work as a teacher's aide in the school and if you wanna find me, you can, um, I have a blog called Michelle's Mission.blog and um, you can also find me, um, I'm on Facebook for Michelle Steiner and I'm also on Instagram for uh, Steiner7250. It's wonderful,
0: thank you very much. So Michelle, let's dive into our first question,
1: which is the adversity. Mm-hmm. So what was your adversity? My biggest adversity was having a learning disability and I was diagnosed when I was, um, very young, I was in kindergarten. And when I went to school, I was having trouble with simple things such as, um, learning how to count and tying my shoes and dot to dot pages. And I also struggled, um, socially as well. It was very difficult being bullied and, um, fitting in with my peers. And I can remember my preschool teacher thought something was going on before, um, I was, I entered kindergarten, but my, I was my parents' first child. So they didn't have a hundred percent of what to look for. So they thought, oh, well, I'll grow up those things. And that really didn't happen. And it was really difficult for me uh, academically and socially in those early years. So
0: thank you so much for sharing that word. um Really appreciate it. Now,
1: what was your diagnosis? What did the people say? They um, diagnosed me with uh, a learning disability. And at that time, um, it was pretty much that I, I, i they knew I couldn't do math very well. Uh, they, they knew that, but they didn't call it dyscalculia or uh, anything like that. They just kind of gave the general term, well, you have a learning disability. And it was difficult uh, to, to go through school with with having that. Um, and also in my adult life, it's, it, it has been difficult too. I've had a lot of people that would hear that term and it was always a lot of the focus on what I couldn't do. I, I can remember having a, a learning support teacher who uh, told me that she didn't think I could do college because of having one. And that was hard to hear. And she recommended a a trade school. And I knew that wasn't where my interests were. And I, I even had a psychiatrist when I had to get evaluated for having a learning disability once we decided, okay, we're going to go to school. And the psychiatrist said, you're most likely not going to go beyond a community college. And even the professors, some of them that I had, they would tell me well, your job choices are going to be limited and i've also had people socially i can remember being single and having someone when i was doing my internship who was single herself saying well a lot of people you may not find somebody uh because you have a disability so learning disabilities really do impact a person uh, academically, but they can also um, have other ways that they can uh, affect a person in their everyday life.
0: Wow, and then where did you go for college? What what was your
1: education? Sure, Uh, when I originally started out, I went in for early childhood education. And when I went back to university, I um, was, I got my, uh, excuse me, I got my uh, bachelor's degree and it was in the service and um, a special education uh, community programming for Americans with disabilities. And did you go master or
0: you no. went to the bachelor? But some people said you can't even go to college or stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. There, there, there were people who didn't think I could do it. <laughs> so learning
0: disability nowadays are such a wide range of terms. And then... I don't know if you um, heard or know Eric Adams, New York mayor, mandated dyslexia screening from preschool and also in uh, prison system because he had dyslexia mm-hmm. and that was never there. And then where I live in Foxborough, dyslexia screening wasn't available before, but then mm-hmm. about a year ago they implemented it. And then not only just one time, but multiple screening stages. So it's definitely changing. And then I think educators are identifying, but back Mm -hmm. then when you were growing up, I am sure that these were really never there. And then not so much of understanding, learning disability, once you put it there, like. How many people who are specialized to understand you? And then how many aid did you have? And then mental health support. And then also the peers that you mentioned that you got Mm -hmm. bullied. What kind of like comparing nowadays, like when you're looking back to your past, what do you think it was lacking the most?
1: I think a lot of what was lacking the most was the representation of people with disabilities and and also the help too. I was really lucky to be able to, first of all, be identified with having one because we didn't uh, have a whole lot of being able to understand that. But I I can remember, we only had like maybe one one aid (laughs) in learning support and now we have is my job. We, we have more, more help for students that have that. And that just having the extra hands kind of being able to give that encouragement helps. And also the lack of representation. I didn't know um, other people who went to college and, and were successful or had jobs and were successful. I, I knew of only very few people, but I never met them personally. So I think now with sharing my story and I, I get also that chance to talk with my students, whether they want to go to college, trade school, or um, into, directly into employment. I get to have that with them to, to kind of encourage them that, you know, people that have disabilities can thrive.
0: And just speaking with you, I don't see you have any learning disability. I don't really um, mm-hmm it's not visible. Like, can you explain what is your most,
1: um, struggle? Sure. Um, my biggest obstacle is a lot of the things people can't see. I uh, struggle with math that has always been the, the cornerstone <laughs> of, of my issues. I've really, I really, I don't understand how numbers work very well. Um, and it, it's not; it's it goes beyond just not knowing how numbers work. I have trouble confusing my left with my right, which uh, I can't tell if it's the uh, when we put shoes on if it's get uh, if this shoe goes on the left foot or the right foot until I put it on. Uh, I that that can be tough. I'm not able to read the face of a clock, an analog clock, so I will have to. Use, so that can be really rough with having to have that. Uh, I'm also not able to drive because of my visual perception and that doesn't affect my eyes. It it affects my brain and just um, my eye hand coordination is difficult. And in one evaluation, we didn't know about this until I was an adult. I have a lack, I have limited hand dexterity in both of my hands. So that made a lot of sense Why uh, it was really tough for me to write my name and have handwriting that's legible. So those were some things that were really hard. And the thing people don't realize about learning disabilities is you may not be able to see them or if somebody doesn't or maybe you won't even be able to tell when I talk. Um, It's just something that people can't see. Thank you so much
0: for explaining that. Yeah, when I'm talking to you, I can't really understand what the learning disability Mm -hmm. part of it, but the vision and not being able to drive and then dexterity, those are huge. And then the left and right and the numbers, and then the clock, like, you know, I I could never have imagined the the struggle that you had gone through. Mm -hmm. How are you dealing with driving?
1: I'm very blessed to have a wonderful husband who uh, takes me places. I have uh, great coworkers who are able to take me home from work. Uh, I also have a lot of friends and family who are able to take me places that I need to go. And I also um, live in a central location where I'm able to walk when I can't get a ride or if I just kind of feel like going out and taking a stroll. uh, I have that opportunity to do that. Uh, that's something my parents really encouraged me to do because it was pretty evident I wasn't going to be able to, to drive um, as a teenager. So they, they encouraged um, independence so I could have a way of getting around. And I, I just can't say enough nice things about my mom and dad. They didn't give up on me and they they really encouraged a lot of um, independence. And that's shaped a lot of my life.
0: Yeah, I remember watching Ray Charles movie and then that they were warned that he was gonna be blind. Mm-hmm. And then early on, the mother taught him how to be independent, how to count, to mm-hmm. the stand and how to touch. And then I was like really impactful. So I think um, it's just so like, I don't really understand having mm-hmm. no disability myself like how hard it is and how much that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And what are the things that you remember the most when people are bullying you or maybe making fun of you? Like you mentioned earlier, do you remember any of the specific comments that people told you?
1: Yes. I had a lot that would tell me that I was dumb or stupid and had a lot of other, like really, um, unkind words that they, they would describe with having a, dis, a learning disability. And it, it was hard for me because I didn't, it, I was trying really hard to, to learn and to be successful. And that was frustrating. And I, I didn't feel very smart when I was young. I, I kind of was in this situation where I thought, well, life is always going to be really difficult and I'm not going to be able to learn. And I had wonderful parents that that told me very, very, much that I was smart and they used age, simple age appropriate language that I, I, I had a learning disability. I, I just learned differently. And hearing that was really helpful, but I, yeah, it, that was tough. I mean, a lot of my peers also thought that uh, I did easy work and they said, well, that's what you're, I could have really good grades if I did easy work. And, and they didn't realize the work was based on my level. And I was having to spend 10 times uh, the amount just to learn something that <laughs> was pretty simple um, to, to do that. And I couldn't hide. I went to a very small Western Pennsylvania school district and they they didn't value diversity or people who are different in any uh, respect. And I, I just didn't really fit in with that. And I They knew I went to learning support. They knew I had tests read to me, especially when I was in with my regular peers for certain classes that I could handle because I was a good reader. But that was that was really difficult. Did you have IEP? Yes, I did. I had an IEP since uh, shortly after I was diagnosed. So
0: IEP, would you explain a little bit about? Sure. IEP itself and then your IEP looked like.
1: Of course, uh, an IEP is an individual education plan. Um, it's for students that have disabilities, uh, that they have goal, certain goals that need to be met and they have accommodations that, that need to be there to try to best support the student. And every person is different. Everyone with an IEP has different goals, uh, different things that are going to happen. Um, I can remember when I was young, a lot of what my IEP was, was having the specialty instruction for math. I also had specialty instruction for reading. That was a big thing with my parents or with my family too. They, They wanted, and my teachers. I was a strong, fluent reader, but I'd have trouble remembering what I was reading and understanding it. So they they wanted to keep me in uh, learning support for a great number of years. So I had that support to be a, a really good reader. Um, some of the other things we had was having the test read aloud to me. Now, that was really helpful. Sometimes, even though you're a good reader, just sometimes hearing that helped. And extended test time was a big thing. And... I remember they also had me in front of the room. I had flu in my ears when I was young too. So I had speech class and I had a hard time knowing how words sounded for just to elementary school. And they'd like to put me in front of the classroom so I could be able to hear and pay attention. So that was a big thing. Uh, calculator usage. I, I didn't make it out of learning support math, at least not for long. Um, so having... I really didn't need that as much because in the room, we were able to use a calculator unless it was a standardized test where they needed to see where my level was at. That was a big thing.
0: Well, thank you so much for explaining. So I recently wrote an article about a mental health program that we have in our town of Foxborough. And then one of the student services leader uh, were interviewed by Foxborough Cable Access TV show. And I was watching And um, he was saying the IEP program, part of it is about 2,500 students in our district um, Mm -hmm. that they have about 500 students through K to 12, they have IEP. I think it's a significant number. And I think having those available and then being able to conquer this learning disability Mm with the individual education plan that is a such a game changer
1: oh yes because uh without having an iep or even as an adult when you don't have an iep when you go to college or your work um or just having without the accommodations i don't i i don't do i don't learn as well i can remember not wanting to have them At college and because of the stigma that was still attached to them as an adult and my grades dropped and finally I can just remember I had a a professor that said well in a class I was struggling with said let's just try to get you extended test time and I was able to pass the class I didn't do very well and when I went back to university I knew that um, if I use the accommodations and I found the right program for me, I could do it. And that time when I I made sure I was advocating for myself and I used those accommodations, uh, my grades really improved. I was able to make dean's list for a semester and I graduated with the bachelor's degree and it's using those services. Now at work, I may not have like a formal plan, but I'm able to talk to my employer. I'm really blessed to have a great employer that understands that I have a learning disability and um, accommodates for, uh, for that. And I can clearly tell them, I, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that. And I maybe need some additional instructions. Or they they know all the kids and the teachers I work with know not to come to me with a math problem, but I can help out with reading and I can go and read a test to somebody or I can help out in a class. And there's a, a lot that I can do.
0: I see. Well, thank you so much. And then one of our one of our guests, Steve Lovelace, mm-hmm. he had a tree accident and then got not not be able to walk. But then that was back then before American Disability Act. Mm-hmm. So you were born um, after the ADA formed. So I'm sure that I mean like when you or in the school or playground or whatever the situation is without the ADA, mm-hmm. act, um, I think it would be different also. in implementing the IEP, I think it's really um completely different world than having it or not having it, like you said. But how about the adult world? You mentioned a little bit about the college and then the workplaces but how accommodating are they, or do you still have struggle? You mentioned a little bit that people understand, but even when you apply for the job, did you have to state that you have a disability, learning disability stuff?
1: That can be, I've had some jobs where it was really difficult with having a disability. Uh, I can remember uh, going in for a job interview and being really open and honest, and uh, I went for one place and, they didn't like that I couldn't drive, and um, I can remember I was telling her this is the time where I was uh taking a bus to work, it was specifically for people with disabilities. And the the the, uh, the woman I was uh the employer was saying, Well, what happens if the bus is late? How are we supposed to handle it? and she even looked at my resume and said, Oh, it's it's here that you work with kids that have disabilities. We don't have students with disabilities at our center. And I, I think sometimes when I, when I see, hear that, uh, if they're not friendly with that, I'm thinking, oh, okay, this may not be the best place. But I can also remember I worked for an agency that, that did help people with disabilities. And I thought, oh, okay, these people will be really understanding, they'll, they'll get it. And it turned out to be not the right job for me. and it was not a very disability-friendly place to work with. Um, they thought that I was faking a lot of these things just to, uh, be able to, uh, collect unemployment. Um, they tried fighting my unemployment afterwards. It was, it was a nightmare, but luckily I was, um, you know, they, they could tell I had a disability in the end. Um, But, and so not every place has been understanding some places they couldn't understand. Well, there's nothing wrong with you. Why can't you move as fast as somebody else? Or why can't you pick up on the job or be able to uh, perform certain tasks? There there was a lot of people who just didn't get, um, have that understanding. And, um, it it took a while to find a job in, in the right place, working with the right people. And having a working relationship where we can just be very honest about things and uh, put forth what I can do.
0: Well, the people who have a learning disability, would you recommend them to be transparent before you apply for the job or not being
1: transparent? That is the greatest dilemma is to disclose or not to disclose. I, I think there are situations where um, it might be, a good thing to do that. There there are jobs that, especially if they um, are able to get some kind of assistance, like with with the government, uh, with some of their programs, that can be an asset if you speak up there. It also can be an asset if you know before you're going into a job how how they're going to be able to treat people. But it can also be... uh, something that, that, that can be considered a red flag, too, that you may not want to say everything. Um, you, you may not want to disclose that information. I mean, that really is up, up to the person. And I do have the advantage of being able to choose my audience and being able to say how much I wish to disclose and how much I might just keep if, um, if that comes up in the future the job. Well thank you so much for sharing that. So Michelle,
0: I want to go back a little bit. So when your parents are trying to figure out what was going on, did your parents tell you when you're now adult later on, like if, if you were misdiagnosed, if it took them a long time to figure out what's going on with you? Because that is really parents' perspective nightmare of figuring out what is going on.
1: Right. Um, I can remember it was a little hard for my dad. My parents were great at accepting it, but it was hard, I think, for my dad coming in to um, understand it because he's really good with numbers. So to him, oh, well, one plus one is always going to be two. And the psychiatrist was explaining that I'm just not – my brain will be – Um, have a a lot of difficulty with understanding that. So I think it was a little difficult to to, to kind of process because everything else was pretty much normal uh, with me. Uh, um, So I think that was hard for them. And then to come to the realization that, oh, they they are right that I won't be able to understand math, but they kind of, the the professionals also kind of, painted a pretty dim picture that that I wasn't going to be successful. And I think they pretty much figured out that they weren't quite right on that. Maybe they were right that I wasn't going to be able to understand math, but they could see a lot of potential in me.
0: So when you have the professional diagnose you that basically this is her limit, Mm -hmm. that is really heartbreaking, especially for parents. Mm-hmm. Do you remember adults saying that to you? You you mentioned a little bit, but then like early on, like, no, you're not going to be able to do this, this, and that. And then how did it affect you?
1: Well, when I was a young child, <laughs> a lot of my teachers were very um, encouraging. I had a lot of great ones in the, in the beginning. Uh, they could see that I was frustrated. I, I can remember a teacher writing that I would – uh, be surprised that I could do something and that they wanted me, they they know they they yeah, excuse me, they knew they need to encourage me to be able to do things on my own uh, to to be able to try things and to and to do that and not to develop a learned helplessness. So that was tough. I, I also had some adults that didn't understand. Some would tell me,, um, you know, if you really wanted to learn, you could, and I did want to learn more than anything else, but I just I really struggled with that.
0: Wow. well, thank you so much for sharing that. And can you explain your advocacy service
1: you mentioned a little bit? Sure, I have a I have a blog called Michelle's Mission and what I do there is I uh, I write disability articles. So I will write on my blog about life with a disability and I will also uh, ha- have disability articles that, that that I've had published and I, I like to do that and I also do photography. Um, that's another passion of mine. Um, sometimes when I'm not able to get a ride, I get to take pictures of things that I see on my walks and I can bring out details that other people might miss. So... And I also like to speak uh, about having a disability as well. Well, thank you so much. Um, and you
0: mentioned that earlier a little bit um, about dating and about mm-hmm. like you know, people judging you because you have disability. But clearly, you're, you said you mentioned about your husband. You are married. <laughs> yeah. So how how was it? How was the process of maybe dating with learning disability?
1: That was, it was difficult to, to find somebody. There were people that I've had guys that have told me I, I can't be with somebody that has a disability or this might be too much for me. I can remember a person breaking up with me and that, that person was telling me I, that they were tired of taking me places. And if I really wanted to drive, I could. So I can remember that was hard. And when I met my husband, I was very honest uh, about uh, having a disability. And uh, he, I remember, I think it was on the first date, I told him I can't drive. And obviously, I mean, he had to he picked me up that night and he was the first person that said, well, how does that make you feel? So, and there's been a learning curve uh, with having someone that does have a disability, uh, a wife, but we've, uh, you know, we've, we've learned together.
0: That is really amazing to hear. And I'm sure that people with the disability, learning disability, um, dating scene definitely is hard. Mm -hmm. Because not just disability, people obviously judge when it comes to commitment dating and, oh, do you have money? Like, what kind of background? And then, even like a Japan, like bloodline, like India, like caste, you know, different things. So on top of those things, race, like tribes, tribal, you know, it's just so many factors to it. So adding on to that
1: must be hard. Yes, that, that was really hard. I mean, yeah, because people do judge and people do think about, yeah. Things like that. Definitely. That, 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 that was pretty, that, that was difficult. How
0: about friends and stuff, especially after college and then adult life?
1: Sure. Um, one of the things that really helped was I began hanging out with some people that were, when I was in high school, uh, in a neighboring school district. And they were involved with an arts program. And I finally got to shed that reputation of being the screw up or just having that as the person with a learning disability. And they were interested in the same thing as I was. And they they accepted that. And I can still remember too that having that acceptance gave me the courage to reach out to other people in the community. And I found some other groups of, Uh, friends. Uh, I'm still friends with some of those people from over 20 years ago. So that helped me with having that friendship. And they it was not a big deal that I didn't drive because they would pick me up to take me places. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think it's just that uh, I'm able now to have that confidence to go out and uh, meet people and to uh, have friendships with uh, a lot of different people now.
0: even with or without a disability, sometimes friendship makes a huge difference in life. Mm-hmm. And having to have a real friend who don't like discriminate
1: you and isolate you, I think that's so big. Definitely, I there's so many things in my life that the people that I've been friends with for uh, over 20 years, uh, I don't think I could have gone through a lot of that that stuff without them. I mean, it's yeah, just having that connection and having that friendship is is so important.
0: So let's dive into the second question, which are the tools that you use to overcome. So we a little bit mentioned about friendship and then mm-hmm. um different things, but this this question number two uh is one of my favorite questions because Every guest so far, you on my episode ninety three. Um, they shared so many unique ways to overcome different adversities. For instance, my favorite share uh, was rage room, which is in New Jersey. That one of my guests had five consecutive miscarriages, and after that, um, she found this rage room where you pay and break everything. And I was able to find similar business, um, 20, 30 minutes away from where I live. And then me and my son went to break everything. It's called Just Smash It. <laughs> and that's really, um, interesting because I just want to share a quick story. So Lisa, who's the owner, um, her story is her daughter had some um, issues that like everybody said, oh, just put on a on medication, but then she didn't want to. So, and she's heard about Rage Room. Mm-hmm. Um, so she said, I'm going to create one. And now she's very successful. There's bachelor party, there's birthday parties. And then <laughs> uh, really, people sometimes have to break things or express different ways. But for your case, Michelle, of all the tools that you use to overcome your learning disability, what do you think that worked the most?
1: I think the thing that worked most for me was writing. Um, Writing was one of those things that helped to heal me. I could have a voice that wasn't um, squelched by a bully. It wasn't, it didn't stop me if I couldn't figure out a math problem or I couldn't get a ride some, to a place I wanted to go. I, I was able to write and I had a voice. And that was just the most healing thing I ever did. I can. I always loved to write, even from time I was a young child. That that's something I was good at, and I enjoy doing. And I can remember I was in a writers group, and I had a friend of mine who told me, "You really should write about having a learning disability." And I was like, "Oh, I don't know. I, I don't think that's a that that's such a great idea. I just kind of want to run from this." And I think I went through a series of writing some bad poetry, <laughs> and. Finally, I took her advice years later, and I wrote my first article, and it got published on The Mighty about my struggle uh, with limited hand dexterity and opening up the lock, opening up locks. And when I got that published, I I had a lot of people that would come and say, oh, that's my story. That's something I struggle with. So I got that connection with other people and just putting it out, um, just my things that I struggle with w- was just so healing for me.
0: Thank you so much, Michelle. Do you have any other writing mediums that you use besides your blog?
1: I have, um, been published, uh, on, uh, things such as the mighty. That was my first place I got published. Um, I've had, i've been published on imagine the world is one magazine i uh, i've had uh, yeah several uh, photographs published uh for word gathering so i've had other places too that i've uh, published my work so
0: writing was one of your tools mm-hmm. that you used to overcome is there anything else that you used that was helpful
1: i think advocacy was a big thing was really helpful was uh, saying that I have a disability and this is what I need to help me, um, that that's been the big thing is just um, naming and being upfront that I have a disability and I'm trying to not not the toxic positivity, uh, but going out and saying I might have a disability, but these are the these are the positive attributes that I do have and this is what I can do. And a lot of it, too, especially as an adult, is knowing how to to just go and approach a situation um, with creative problem solving.
0: What um, what do you mean by creative problem solving?
1: If I go into a situation and I don't understand how to do something, I have to ask for help. But I also have to teach myself how to do that. So I might have to go in and say, "Okay, this is a situation that I'm having. How can I? even if I can't overcome it, how can we solve the 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 problem with that? So sometimes it's just trying to think of some creative solutions to 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 learn things. Like if I have to make copies and i um, I can't remember how to do that, I have to think, oh, this is how we do that. And it's just coming up with new ways to to be able to learn how to do things. And tell me about your job that you're helping
0: now, younger students. Do you work with students with the learning disability?
1: Yes, a lot of my students have learning disabilities. Some of them have autism. Um, Mainly, I work with seventh graders, and I will help them out in some of their regular red classes. And then I also help out in their learning support classroom. It's like a study hall, and we go over um, spelling words. I'm big on quizzing them on that and reading tests and just trying to reinforce a lot of that information that they might've missed in class.
0: So for the people who told you that you wouldn't be able to go to college, now what do you say to them? And then now you're teaching other kids (laughs) with your degree, with your bachelor's degree and education and helping the kids with learning learning disability. What would you say?
1: I would say that (laughs) I was able to do it and to not sell somebody short that you would, um, th- that you may not think can do it because we d- we don't know what somebody can do, or what somebody can isn't able to do. Um, I may not have been able to be a certified teacher, but there there are ways around things uh, th- that we can do. So I would tell them that yes, I I, I could do it. I, I did.
0: <laughs> and how about you connecting with the parents of the students with this? learning
1: disability? I don't get a lot of communication with parents. Um, Sometimes I will uh, see them and I get the the chance to to tell them how much I enjoy working with with their students.
0: And do you think it's part of a little bit of healing or empowering?
1: It is healing. It is very um, healing and very empowering to be able to to connect with students, to be able to connect with parents. to, to have a, a parent come up to me and say, you made a difference in the life of my, my child, I, I think that is all, always a, definitely a plus. And when the students thank you too for helping them and, and they're appreciative, that that's also very um, healing.
0: That is very heartwarming. Thank you so much for sharing that. I just wanna share a quick story that came to my mind. Mm-hmm. So. I was homeless, I was abused, mm-hmm. and then I had no um, understanding of PTSD or whatever. And I went through the hardship. But when I was running a nonprofit and then talking to these gang members who went through extreme adversities in their lives, and I coming as a Japanese, their biases are maybe I come from rich, like, no. Well, <laughs> Um, country or whatever so they don't see me as somebody who struggled but then when I shared my story with the students and then they started to instantly connect with me mm-hmm. so I think there are some body languages and then some of the information that we can share as a survivor or somebody who went through this hardship, I think we could definitely understand more than the people who didn't go through the adversity and then be able to connect.
1: Yep. Oh, I agree 100%, because I will talk with people that uh, have learning disabilities, and we all have a different story, but there is that connection of, of a lot of our experiences that, that we went through with school or just um, everyday life. I have other friends that uh, ha- have trouble with uh, dyscalculia, with math, and they whenever we kind of share, oh, okay, I... I messed this up or I got confused by this, then that kind of just really is comforting because we're able to um, have that connection and to share and and, and to know that we're not alone in this.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that, Michelle. So my last question is a gift that came from the adversity. So what would you say a gift that came from the adversity?
1: The gift that came from the adversity was it, it made me into the person that i am today it made me into a strong independent person and i don't love everything that uh, that that has happened to me but i love the person that it, it has turned me into
0: So well, thank you so much and my last request from you if somebody is listening or will be listening to this episode if they are having the learning disability or maybe parents are having children with a learning disability what is your biggest advice for them
1: my biggest advice for them is not to give up for parents not to give up on their child or for a teacher not to give up on the student that comes in that has the learning disability and for for the students that have the the learning disability too not to give up um to, to just keep on looking for new ways and, and, and different ways to do what you wanna do.
0: Thank you very much. I think that expectation from the educators are huge and their encouragement, even if they think that it's not a big deal, sometimes I'm proud of you. I believe in you. Those can make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. In- students' learning and then life path.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: Wonderful. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for coming in today and closing the 2022 podcast of A Gift for University.
1: Oh, thank you for having me, Jory. It's been a pleasure. Wonderful.